If you've got your Bible with you, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1, please. Hebrews chapter 1. <clears throat> Verse 1, God, who at various times, in various ways, spoke to us in times past by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom He also made the worlds. Notice it's plural, worlds who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as He has been, been given an inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. I want to talk about receiving the Word of God today in, all, in, all, in a particular way. Receiving the Word of God in order to transform the world. You know, religion and Christ, Christianism and Christianity can seem so far removed from everyday life and it's kind of something that many Christians maybe do as a hobby once in a while or once a week on a Sunday. But God and Christ is supposed to fill the entire aspect of everything we do, that he's interested in every part of our life, and that he didn't come, Jesus didn't come to set up a religion, he came to bring sons back to the Father, he came to bring sons back to God, you and me, he came to establish a people that would represent him in the earth in a way that would be powerful, and, and I really believe that we need to receive the word to transform the world. When I say receive the Word, I'm not just talking about reading the Bible. The Bible's very clear that the Word of God is Jesus. Jesus Himself is the Word of God. In Greek, the word Word, a lot of the times in the Bible, is logos. And logos means the divine thought or the divine expression. So it's the way God thinks and it's how God expresses Himself. And in this scripture we've read, it talks clearly that Jesus is the way that God thinks and the way God expresses Himself. He's the, the, the message of the Word. He's what God wants us to pay attention to. Jesus. I'm not putting down the Bible. I love the Bible. I believe the Bible is the, is the Word of God because it reveals Jesus to us from Genesis to Revelation. But I really believe that God wants us not only to read the Bible, but encounter Jesus in the Bible. To not only take on spiritual principles or different formulas for life from the Scripture, but to have an encounter that changes our heart, that changes our life. You know, Scripture contains great revelation of the Word of God and teaches us what is the general will of God, but the Scripture also teaches us what is not the general will of God. There's lots of stories and accounts and histories in the, word, in the Bible, in the Scripture, that are not the perfect will of God. That don't teach us the perfect will of God, but actually teach us what the will of God is not. It was not the will of God for Adam and Eve to fall, but that's in the Bible. It was not the will of God 
for everything to be stripped from Job's life. But that's in the Bible. And we, we, we have to understand by coming to the Bible with an open heart and finding Jesus in the Bible and finding the will of God in Jesus. When Jesus was born, the angels proclaimed on the earth, this is the time of God's good will. This is his will being done through Jesus Christ. And it's really important that we, we don't put a, a religious guard up and, and say, oh, Jeff, you're attacking the Bible. I'm not attacking the Bible. It's the Word of God. I love the Bible. But it's there for us to have an encounter with Jesus, not to fill our heads with academic knowledge. It's there for us to find revelation of who God is and who we are. The Word of God, the Scripture, is the will of God, but Jesus with a capital word, the Word of God, He is the will of God, and He speaks to us even beyond the Bible. Never contradicting the Bible, but confirming the Scripture, but He speaks to us beyond it. And God wants us to hear His voice in our hearts every single day, speaking to us. Because even though the general will of God is revealed in the Scripture, there's a specific will for your life and a specific will for my life. And it's amazing because God is so amazing that even if we mess up and we mess up again and again and again and we go off in different tangents, He has an amazing way to get us back on His specific will for our lives. He's awesome. But it requires, at points in our life, it requires us to want to partner with Him. One of the big phrases that, that you know gets to me, because I think it comes with a religious connotation sometimes, is God is in control. It's not that I don't believe that God is, is, is out of control. I just don't believe He's in control in the way that people mean that when they say He's in control. So somebody gets really sick and they die, and somebody, a Christian, will say, well, God is in control. Somebody goes through a terrible abuse and trauma, and somebody will say, well, we'll pray because God is in control. Why you bother praying if God is in control? It's His will anyway. Can I suggest to you that God is not in control in the way you think control is? Because we're human beings, when we think of control, we think of micromanaging every situation. And that's what God's like, because He's like us. No, he's, we're like Him. We've got to find out who we are in Him, not the other way around. <clears throat> so, are you saying that God is out of control? Well, sometimes when you look at what's happening in the world, you could come to that conclusion. But here's a picture for you from the verse I read in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. It says, He upholds all things by His word, by Jesus. When I was meditating on this, I had a picture of Jesus carrying that cross down the Via Della Rosa. That cross, we think, is a one-time event 2,000 years ago, but the Bible tells us that he was a lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. Jesus is always a lamb that carries our burden. And upholding all things by the word of his power, no matter how dark this world gets, this is how God is in control, through a Jesus who's powerful enough to uphold everything, even in the weight of evil, he's still able to uphold it and make sure it doesn't come crashing down around us. He upholds it all. No matter how dark it gets. 
And you say, well, that doesn't seem like much of a plan. Yeah, that's not all his plan, just to uphold everything. His plan is to release a people on the earth that will represent him fully, to bring light where there's darkness, and take away the burden of evil, take away the burden of misery, take away the burden of trauma, take away the burden of abuse and hardship. When we find his heart and represent him as a church fully, then we will. Not just us in this little location, but the church across the world. I, I heard a wonderful testimony, I put it on my Facebook account a couple of days ago, of a church in America, and they paid off, listen to this, $10 million of people's, um, people who couldn't afford health care in the States is a big problem. And they paid all their debts off, $10 million. That was a church that did that. We need to raise our vision and our faith. Well, we're just a little church. We've been going 35 years. And it's so nice. We have meals together. It's so lovely. No, and that's all great. But God wants more. God wants more. Amen? He wants more. And in your history, there's some amazing examples as a church where you've done amazing things to reach out and to love people all across the world. And God wants to do more and more. It's not the time to give up. It's not the time to hold back. It's not the time. I've done my bit. But it's time to say, what, do you want? what is your specific will for me in this season, God? I want to know it. <clears throat> the specific will of God for you in any season will never contradict his perfect and general will he's revealed in the scripture. Let me give you an example. One church leader came to me and they were dealing with somebody who was at death's door. This was a few years ago when I was in the Midlands. And they said, I, I know the Bible says that by the wounds of Jesus we are healed, but I've seen so many people not healed. I'm praying for the will of God in this situation, whether it's the will of God to heal that person or not. First of all, that's, that's oversimplifying a very complicated situation because you've not just got uh, the will of God involved in that. It's the person's will. That person may have suffered so much, they, don't, they just want to go home to be with Jesus. That's their will involved. And we are not here to violate other people's wills. That's not our job. That would be control. Okay? But if somebody really does want to be healed, and Jesus asks people that question a lot, not to do with their faith, it's just a desire now. Okay? Then, then there was a connection with, that, with Jesus, and there was a healing. Not every time. It says in certain places he couldn't heal because of unbelief and, and various things like that. I'm not saying, please don't put your, you know, get Jeff mindset up and say, saying that if you haven't got faith, you're not going to be healed. I'm not saying that. I'm making the point that the specific will of God would never say over that person, no, the will of God is for you to die in suffering. Because the general will of God in the scripture is not the will of God for you is to die in suffering. It's not. You can't find it in the scripture. In fact, when you look in the book of Revelation, when it talks about heaven, it says in heaven there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's not even any tears, there's no, there's no crying in, 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 in grief in heaven. So that's God's perfect environment. He wants to bring heaven to earth. Therefore, in our environment, that's what we want to see more of as a church community. And not in the way that we hold back our pain and our hurt and hold it in and put a smile on our face and when somebody asks us, how are you doing? You say, I'm fine because it's heaven to earth. I'm fine. Everything's wonderful. No, 
we can be real enough to say we're going through some stuff, tough stuff. But then don't swing to the other pendulum where you've got people praying for you and you've got people standing with you and, and we decide to almost say, well, I don't think that's going to work. You know, that's the other side of it. We've got to find a place where we want to receive the will and the word of God into our lives. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all of Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for correction, for rebuke, for training people in the goodness and will of God and equipping them, fully equipping them. The Scripture is God-breathed, and if we're going to understand it in our hearts, have revelation of it, perceive it, and actually put it into practice, then we have to be God-breathed. We cannot read the Scripture on our own just as much as we can't live this life on our own. We need the Holy Spirit. As Christians, let's start to pray a simple, humble prayer every single day when we get up, even if we forget and we're you know, just off the loo or we've just cleaned our teeth or whatever, just in the shower, as Moz does. Holy Spirit, I need you today. There's that humility to that prayer, isn't there? You know, humility is not telling everybody how awful you are and how unworthy you are. Humility is acknowledging your need of Jesus. That's humility. With that in mind, let's look at one more scripture. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. When I say one more scripture, I may mean two more. Forgive me. I don't want to lie to you. But we'll see. We'll see how we go. James chapter 1. And I want to read from verse 17. I'm reading from the New King James Bible. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. And comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation, that word means change, or shadow of turning. So James, who was the brother of Jesus, he says, don't be deceived. Everything that's good, everything that's mature and perfect, comes down from the Father of lights. And the Father of lights is not just the title that he's the Father of the heavenly lights, but I also believe it means he's the father of lights because you and I are the light of the world. Comes down from the father in whom there's no change. What God has said is not going to change. How God's nature is not going to change. It's found in Jesus. And some people will say, well, the Old Testament's older than Jesus. But Jesus said, before Abram, I am. Jesus is God, by the way. Three in one. Well, I don't get the Trinity, three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What's all that about? And then you've got some Christians, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Bible. No, but, but you've got all these different ideas about what the Trinity is. <clears throat> but we have clearly in creation examples of what God is like. Look at water. Water can come in three different forms. Steam, ice, and liquid. But it's still water. 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're still one. And this Trinity, this Father of lights, this amazing God who loves us and gave his life for us, every good and perfect gift comes from him. And the deception that the enemy wants you to get hold of, that the world system wants you to get hold of, that religion wants to teach you, is that God will give you bad stuff to teach you something. That's not what it says. Well, there's an example of that in the Old Testament. Yeah, but you can't take an example in the Old Testament and make it trump the revelation that God has in Jesus. And if you really look, instead of just quoting that particular story or quoting that particular verse, really go before God by the Spirit and study it out, you'll come to the same conclusion that James did, a man who didn't even believe in Jesus until after the resurrection, and, and he'll say the same thing, that only good comes from God. Only good comes from God. We have yet to even understand in our hearts, in a very small way, how much God has given himself to us. How much he loves us. I'm going to skip a few verses for time and go down to verse 21. It says, therefore. When you see therefore in the scripture, it's always good to find out what it's there for. And before it, you have a number of verses, but it's really a continuation of what I read. It's how we respond to this God. And because everything that is good comes from God, and He's the Father of lights, therefore, because of that revelation of God, therefore, put aside all filthiness, verse 21, an overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Because God is like that, it's time for us to do something in response to this revelation of God, which is a true revelation of God, that only good comes from Him. We have to now adjust our hearts to do something. And what does it say we do? We lay some stuff aside in order to receive something. Okay? We're going to look at what we lay aside, and we're going to look at what we receive. Are you ready? Anybody with me? Good. So they fall, lay aside. That phrase, lay aside, in the Greek means to cast off, to throw away. You know, I think Peter in one of his letters, he says, cast your burden onto who? Cast your burden onto Job, because he cares for you. No, cast your burden onto the Lord. The Lord is Jesus, isn't he? For he cares for you. You won't find peace for your soul by reading a wrong interpretation of the book of Job, or a wrong interpretation of some other obscure Old Testament scriptures, but you will find peace in your soul when you find Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. Because you can. You've got the greatest teacher inside of you, the Holy Spirit. So cast away, and what does it say? Cast away all filthiness, an overflow of wickedness. This sounds really bad that I've got to cast these things away. What on earth does this mean? Well, literally, filthiness, if you study it out, it means the idea of in your own strength and by your own grasp of your own sense of right and wrong to make up some kind of morality. I know what's right and wrong. I know. I know. It's all about me. I know. 
I know what's right and wrong. And here he's saying, cast that filthiness away. Why is it called filthiness? Remember the prophet Isaiah, he says, your righteous acts are like filthy rags. They're like filthy rags to me. When you think you've got your own righteousness, when you think you're able to perform, I know what moral... You know, one word that's described in that word filthiness is shabby morals. They're morals that don't stand up. They're morals that are based on human wisdom, not on God's wisdom. Cast them away. And cast away the overflow of wickedness. This is really important to grasp what this really means. It means, it's talking about a desire. The overflow of desire, listen to this, to injure others because of feelings of unworthiness we have about ourselves. Wow. Think about that a minute. The, I, the overflowing desire that we sometimes have to injure others because of feelings of unworthiness we have about ourselves. Come on, brothers and sisters, let's be honest, we all play this game sometimes. Sometimes it creeps out, what on earth, what, what just happened then? Because there's, a, there's, there's desires on this, there's a sense of unworthiness that we carry through the rejection that came in right the way back from the fall that God wants to heal and he's made an appropriate way to get healed through the blood of his son that he can heal us to our deepest rejections if we allow him to cast it on to the Lord so he can take it away and heal it. This desire that we have sometimes to oh I'll just rib somebody. I'll just say something to put Bala down because I want to feel better about myself. Oh, I'm only joking. Punch Bala in the face, bam! Oh, I was only joking. He still remains with the consequences of that punch. And I, sp I think particularly, I'm a northerner, so I can speak to you as northerners. I may be on the wrong side of the Pennines, but I've lived here for nearly five years now. And I would say this, that as northerners, we are very good at covering our insecurities and unworthiness by ribbing somebody else. When God wants us... God wants us to have a wonderful sense of humor, but he wants us to do it from a place of knowing our own healing. Because, brothers and sisters, the church, the family of God, needs to be a place where people who are suffering can come in and they're just not going to get ribbed like they do in the world. When people can come in who may be not your kind of people. I've had people come to me who've left the church and say, well, you know, the people that come in, they're just not my kind of people. They're just not the kind of people that were there five years ago. Can I just say, you're my kind of people. And if we're going to find a place where people can feel included, then we have to find a real revelation in our hearts that Jesus has included us. Really. So lay aside these things and receive. So we're going to lay aside these things. This is not going to be a one-time process. This is not, you know, people are looking, especially charismatic Christians, we look for that one healing line where God's going to zap us and everything's going to be better. God's going to zap us and suddenly we lose 50 pounds. Oh, hallelujah. God's going to zap us. And we do these things. 
But what I find in the Scripture as the heart of God is it's faith to faith, glory to glory. He said to the people crossing into God's promised land, little by little you'll inherit. So the healing line is a means of grace to go little by little. The preach word is a means of grace to go little by little, glory by glory. Studying yourself is a means of grace. All the things we have at our disposal is a means of grace. To get to us to the place where we are receiving, what are we receiving? The implanted word. What does that mean? Let me just elaborate a little bit. The word receive is not just a passive, oh, go on then, God, I'll take it, if you, if you really have to. You know, when, sometimes when you're praying for people, they say things like this. If God really wants me to receive the Holy Spirit, he'll just give it me. Well, the thing is that when you look at the word receive, and there's a number of words in the, word, in the Greek for receive, this word receive is um, dekomai in the Greek, and it means this, to open the door. To give access. Remember that scripture in Revelation? Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Anybody opens the door of their heart, he'll come in. That was said to Christians. We use that in evangelism, but it was said to Christians. My point is this. To receive is not some, oh, I'll go on then if I have to. It's an opening of our heart. It's saying, God, you can come in. There's no area of my life that I restrict from your love. There's no area of my life that I restrict from your word. Why? Because I trust you. It's like when we lift our hands in worship, or some of us lay prostrate on the floor in worship, or lay on our back, or kneel down. There's a sense of, in that physical act, there's a sense of, God, I, you can take all of me. And, it, and, and, and that heart requires a response in even our physical body. In that moment. So this receiving is not a passive thing, it's a partnership. It's taking up. It's the idea of opening the door and granting access. God, you can have me for an hour on a Sunday morning as long as the preacher doesn't preach too long, but after that, no more access. God wants access. He's not going to force himself on you. He's not somebody who's into control. But he wants access because he loves you. Listen to this. With meekness. What's the word meekness mean? Humility. We have to receive in a, in a way of humility. What does that mean? It means that, okay, I'll give it a, it doesn't mean this attitude. Okay, I'll give it a go and if it doesn't work, I'll do it my own way. It, it, this receiving is with the attitude that God, I've tried every which way. And I know only your way works. And I submit myself to your way. I submit myself to your will. Knowing now that your will is good and only good comes from you. I think the reason why many Christians aren't vulnerable with God is because they think God's about to get them. But he's not. He's about to love them. Receive the implanted word. That is not receive a Bible implant in your heart, you know, next to the pacemaker. Receive a little Bible on a key ring where God puts the note. He's not talking about the scripture there. He's talking about 
more than the scripture. He's talking about receive the divine thought and the divine expression. Receive Jesus himself into your heart. Yes, the scriptures are part of that. But it's more than that. Humbly receive Jesus. Humbly receive the divine expression, the divine thought. Which is able to save your soul. The word save there is not, which is able to give you a ticket to heaven. That's not what the word save there is. The word save there is to keep you safe and sound, to heal, to preserve, and to make whole. So as we receive Jesus, well, I received Jesus 55 years ago. I received Jesus two months ago, and nothing's changed. No, you've, you've prayed a prayer. You've not received Jesus. When, you, when, when there's a sense of hunger to receive him, when you realize there's no other way to live than but to receive him, then we receive him really. And what happens is it starts to bring about healing and restoration in our very soul. Our soul, brothers and sisters, is different from our spirit. When we became Christians, our spirit became brand new in Christ Jesus, but our soul that's also eternal, spirit and soul are connected, your soul will last, live forever as well. Jesus said this, you can gain the whole world, but lose your soul. It's not talking about your spirit, it's talking about the soul. Let me give you an example of what the soul is. The word there in the Greek for soul is psyche. That's where we get words like psychology from, or even psyching it up, or, or psyche generally is a word. Basically, what it means is it's talking particularly about the psyche, about the ego. So in psychoanalysis, the part of the psyche which experiences the external world. It's the part of you that experiences this external world or this external reality through the senses. So listen to this. Jesus wants to heal the part of you that interacts with this external world system. That we interact with through how we see, how we hear, how we speak, how we uh, smell, how we taste. Through the five physical senses and the speech, we interact with this physical world, don't we? Now the Bible says that the, the invisible world, the world that God created before this world, is much bigger and he created the visible world out of it. Stay with me. This is really important. God wants to heal you at the place in your soul where you contact this world through your five physical senses. Why? He wants to change your perception of how you see this five physical sense world. Many Christians live just bound by the five physical sense world. The Scripture and the Holy Spirit and Jesus are with us to help us to save us from seeing this physical world like everybody else sees it. By interacting with this physical world like everybody else sees it. Let me give you an example from the life of Jesus. This physical world will tell you it is absolutely impossible to walk on water. Yet Jesus did it, but not only Jesus did it, okay, because Jesus, oh, he's God, a normal man called Peter did it. Well, he fell in. Yeah, but he still walked. Give him some grace. Still walked on. He still denied 
natural law. My point is this, that God wants to so bring about transformation in his heart by his word and by his spirit, in, in, my, in my heart and your heart, by his word and by his spirit, that we, we're not bound by physicality and we're not bound by the limits of this creation. That means that we have confidence next time somebody's sick to lay hands on them. And it's nothing to do with where they're at. It's nothing to do with what, whether they've got faith or not. But we have a confidence because of the healing that's gone on our heart to lay hands and see them recover. And if they don't recover, we still have confidence that God is good. Yeah. And we just do what the will of God. And eventually we'll see what we want to see. God wants to help us in our psyche, in that area, that, that, the, the, the soul that contacts the spirit. So we, we, we build our psyche with knowledge. We contact the spiritual realm by the knowledge and experiences we've had in the past. God wants to heal you of some of the negative experiences you've had in the past so you don't repeat them again and again and again going forward. He wants to heal you of them. So, the next, listen, let me give you an example. Somebody rejected you. Maybe, a, like myself, my father rejected me. So, some, a father rejected you. And therefore, when you come into a church environment and somebody says to you, I'd like to mentor you, I'd like to be a spiritual authority to you, you don't start to think immediately from your perception of your experience, that person will reject me too. In your personal example. Thank God I didn't, because I would have missed out on a great relationship with, with, with the mentor of mine, Ian Russell. Why? Because God was healing me over time, because I allowed him to come in and heal me of that particular father wound. We've got to open ourselves up. And it's not, it's not me forcing this on you, but it's simply responding to the scripture here, to lay aside stuff. If, that, that gets in the way. Lay aside that tendency, perhaps, to be sharp with people or put somebody down in order to big yourself up because you feel unworthy on the inside. We all go through those things, and it's time for letting the, Jesus come in and heal. Humbly accept him in. Let him heal. Let me give you another example. That if, if, if you in your personality... In any environment you're in, whether it's in church, whether it's in work, whether it's in family, set yourself up as judge and jury. So that you are the one seated. And you can see perfectly. You've got the perfect perception. And you can see where that needs to change, where that person needs to change, where that situation needs to change. Not only that, but you feel that it's not just good enough that you hold this information. No, this needs to be shared with other people. My point is this. What we've got to be responsible for is allowing Jesus to change us. And if we have a tendency to sit in judgment of other people, can I suggest it's because we really need healing in our own heart. I'm going to stop there because time's gone. I want to say this to you. In order for us to bring healing to so many people that really need Jesus, we really have to come away from our religious facades and allow Jesus to heal us and allow the word to be true in our lives and allow us to trust that only good comes from God 
And to actually remove from our vocabulary things like God is in control as a religious word. Because God doesn't control anybody. He's not controlling. He doesn't want robots. He wants sons. And these sons, you and me, the whole of creation is waiting for them to be revealed. It's time for Jesus to be revealed in us so he can be revealed through us. Would you stand with me, please?